Welcome, everybody, to Downstage, the podcast of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. I'm David Cotton. And I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti. Hey! Hey, Alejandra. Thanks for joining <laughs> us, everybody. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, uh, James Vasquez, well-known director in our neighborhood and, of course, a resident artist at the Old Globe Theater. James, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you two. So uh, you've got a show going on right now at the Globe, Mary Wives of Windsor. Yes. Spectacular staging. Um, How has that been going over in the uh, festival stage? You know, we're we're having um, we're having such a great time. It's uh, uh, it's just a big, fluffy, silly show. Um, And it's a little mindless. So it's a perfect evening for a summer. You know, especially a summer at a time in the world where we're a little crazy in the world. So so come sit under the stars and just let your mind go a little. Um, you know, and I think audiences are really responding and having a good time. And, and one of the beautiful things about it is we're seeing um, a lot of families there. Uh, we're, we're finding that it's really a show that has um, audiences are finding accessible. Uh, for all ages and all families. So that's that's been exciting. James, would you say that um, for people that have not experienced Shakespeare or people that feel intimidated by Shakespeare, this is a good one to go see? Absolutely, I think so. And, and you know, we, we uh, worked hard to um, really celebrate that and really celebrate the accessibility to, to this story. Um, it, it's... You know, if we're being if we're being honest, it's not one of Shakespeare's deepest stories. Um, so that there are, um, it, it's light, and it, it it that offers some accessibility, um, and the silliness of it. And then I think the way we've decided to present it um, by by modernizing it a little bit and setting it in the fifties with some iconic looks and energies that that we grew up with and are familiar with. So I do think that audiences that are not typically um, Shakespeare fans are finding a, uh, a comfort and an enjoyment in it that, that is surprising to them. Um, you know, I just got an, I actually got a, an email from a, a young high schooler um, yesterday saying that he saw it and didn't think he would like Shakespeare but has started reading Midsummer Night's Dream after seeing Merry Wives. Um, so right there, success, you know? Totally. When people yeah. ask you, why? Why do you do this, whatever? This is one of the answers. <laughs> That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Happens. You know, I, I feel really lucky that I was, um, I was given these opportunities and I was taken to theater at a young age. So, so to be able to give that gift back, um, I, I hope people take it. You know, I love well, James, it. you know, updating Shakespeare, modernizing it, as you put it, you know, it's been fairly common for many, many years as a director and a theater maker, though. How do you know with something as to some degree sacrosanct as Shakespeare's works are? How do you know how far to push the modernization where you are true to the text and yet making it more accessible for modern audiences? How do you strike that balance? Yeah, you know, we we um, uh, I I think we're still figuring that out, honestly. And we in the rehearsal process 
um, allowed ourselves to go full tilt boogie. I mean, we went we went overboard. Um, and as we started then running scenes and putting the show together, um, started to be very aware of the moments where we were losing Shakespeare and Shakespeare's intent. Uh, and it, it, it really came down to that. We as a collective in the room would say, wait a minute, we're stepping away from his words and his intention to the point that it's no longer him. Um, and we would start striking and we would go back to his original text. Um, so we were, and then of course, you know, I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world that I have access to maybe the premier American Shakespeare scholar. Um, you know, I just go knock on Barry's door <laughs> and, and um, with great welcoming arms, he, he guided me through this process uh, and was very helpful in saying, yeah, you can push further there or no, we're, we're, we're taking advantage a little too much here. Um, you know, so I think it was a collective effort with our ear and the intent of the story. And then again, being able to sit with Barry and really get that insight and that wisdom. Oh, that's cool. And I guess, the, you know, the responses are coming in. So I think you did a, a good job. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it tonight. So I can't even like, I'm excited though. Um, but, and scared for the storm at the same time. But it's all going to be good. That, you know. I, I know I have fingers crossed. I have fingers crossed. For, we, for so. those of you listening, we're we're recording this on a day when a tropical storm slash hurricane is heading toward uh, San Diego, and hopefully by the time that you're listening to this, that will have passed, and it would have been will have been to use Shakespeare's words, much ado about nothing. Yes, I don't think we'll be that. I don't think that. we'll be that lucky, but hopefully it won't be. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, when when uh, James was referring to Barry, for those of you not familiar, we're, we're talking about Barry Edelstein, who is the artistic director of the Old Globe Theater, and as you said, a Shakespeare yeah. scholar of of considerable note. Now, James, one of your ongoing yeah. one of your ongoing things at the Globe is the Grinch, which I know is coming up again yes. in a couple of months. And I asked you this when I interviewed you for the paper a while ago: How do you keep the Grinch fresh? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I mean, first of all, let me say, this, it, it, it's probably my favorite job I've ever had in, in my entire life. We, we grow up reading Seuss. We grow up familiar with Seuss. Um, and uh, growing up watching that cartoon and reading the book, and then for the majority of my adult life to be a who, <laughs> I, I've been a who for, at Christmas time, which is an amazing thing. Um and, you know, it, it, it's about community. And I think, honestly, that's what keeps it fresh is we the Old Globe um, made a mission uh, uh, 20, 26 years ago to really make the Grinch a community effort. Um, and the majority of the cast are local San Diegan um, actors. Uh, and every year there are returnees. And every year we welcome new Who's into Whoville. And quite honestly, it's all of those new Who's every year that keep it fresh. Um, because you, you, you've got to get their love. You've got to get their energy into the world to make that world sparkle. Uh, and, and then I always say, you got to believe. 
you 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 got to believe in Santa Claus. You got to believe in Christmas and the magic of of Cindy Lou. Um, and, and I think that really, if you dive into that, it can't help but be a fresh, lovely story. Mm, yeah, that's true. And for Christmas, it makes you feel like all warm and fuzzy. So there's like, yeah. Um, James, how did you get into theater or theater into your world? How, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, my, um, uh, it was, I, I'm one of those lucky ones in that it was always in my life. My, um, growing up, I had a cousin who, who is an actor, but I watched him in high school. Um, my father is a poet and was part of a group um, when I was four, five, six in, in downtown uh, called the Community Arts Center. Um, and, you know, I was growing up and at five was going to this warehouse downtown with my dad where there would be a local art uh, gallery showing. Um, local poets would be getting up in another corner of the warehouse. Dancers would be in another corner of the warehouse. An Indian dance troupe would be in another room of the warehouse. So I, 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 I grew up surrounded by artists. Um, and it was just a world that I, I, I think there was no choice. <laughs> it's what I grew up knowing and, and loving. Um, and seeing others that I loved and respected doing it and saying, I, I want to do that. I want to do that too. Um, Although there's a very funny story that my mom loves to tell. Um, you know how schools have spirit weeks and you've got like retro day and future day and school color day. Well, apparently when I was in first grade, our school had a future day and you were supposed to come dressed like what you were going to be when you grow up. And I don't know where this came from. <laughs> With no help from my mother, I took my grandfather's robe and I cut out the word director in felt and I glued it on the back of the robe. I took a scarf, I wrapped it around, I put sunglasses on and I took a beret and I went to school. <laughs> so my mom likes to say it, it it's always, it, it was meant to be, but. <laughs> now as a director, how do you feel that costume? <laughs> right? Now I'm like, geez, did I really, that's what the, that's how you look. You're the first. You're the first director we've had on the podcast since we started, and maybe you could enlighten us. What do you think is the one thing about directing theater that most people don't know? Oh man, I, I mean, I don't. I don't know if this is something that we don't necessarily know, but I, 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 I would like to point out and really celebrate. Um, the collaboration of it all. And I think that is, I, I, I think that is something that often gets overlooked. Um, you know, my name is always big and on the poster and I get a lot of the credit for doing it all. Um, and I, I, the support underneath me, the support around me, the support above me to really make these things bubble and sparkle and come to life. Um, I, and in, in ways you wouldn't know, I mean, we're talking from like casting associates to producing associates, to assistant manager interns, to, to costume assistants, to head of the prop department. Um, 
you know, a lot of times people come up and go, oh, you were really brilliant. That was what you did there. And sure, it may have been my idea and I might have guided us all there. But there are uh, tens and tens and tens of dozens of people making it happen who never get the applause, who never even sometimes make it into the program. Um, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a community. Well said. It's yeah. true. Takes, so takes James, we, we couldn't let you go without telling us. I know you've got a very busy schedule the rest of this year. You, you told me about this recently. Why don't you tell our listeners about uh, how busy you're going to be up and through the Grinch? Yeah. No, you know, I am. Uh, first of all, uh, San Diego is home. San Diego is always going to be home. And I love that I have this beautiful um, artistic community to come home to always. Um, and I love that you all have supported and lifted me up so I get to go out of town and have these adventures. Uh, I, I'm headed to um, New Jersey, to Red Bank, New Jersey, to Two River, uh, to remount um, hair that we did at the Old Globe in 2021. Oh, wow. um, as soon as that opens, uh, I'm jumping right into a two-week workshop in New York for an 80s jukebox musical that I've been on the development team for, um, based off of the old John Hughes, Molly Ringwald movies. Uh, uh, right? Right? <laughs> it's literally like my dream project come true. Um, and then we head into Grinch. And, uh, uh, you know, again, spending Christmas in Whoville. And then um, 2024 seems to be the year of In the Heights. Oh, my God. I love In the Heights, and I've done it twice, but I have, uh, I'm headed to two back-to-back -back In the Heights in 2024 in Chicago and Cleveland. So that is a, it's that's a, a, I love In the Heights, too. You know, I, I tell people this all the time. I like In the Heights better than Hamilton. If you're going you know what? Let's, let me join you. I'm going to join you in that controversial <laughs> statement. Yeah. I think I in love Hamilton, but I really Hamilton. love In the Heights. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, there's people that so say, much. oh, sorry. Yeah, there's people that say, oh, Hamilton, you know, it's the masterpiece, whatever. And the Heights is terrible. And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't even oh, no, know. No, no, no. You don't know. <laughs> made a good movie out of it, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. beautiful. James, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we're loving Merry Wives. Good luck with the rest of uh, the year and beyond. Yeah, thank you. It's so great to talk to you. And, um, uh, you know, get out, everyone. Get out and go see theater. Support live theater. Absolutely. Thanks, James. Thank you. Stay with us. I'll be right back. But, David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship? I did not know that. Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products... They can send us an email at info at sdcriticcircle.org with the subject line advertising in downstage. And we'll take it from there. And bringing back our trivia, theater trivia questions. Which one was the longest running play in the world? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the answer later in the show. Alejandra, before we get into talking about reviewing and timeliness of reviews, I have to share with you something that I just got yesterday. Um, 
one of my all-time crushes in Hollywood is Dana Delaney. And a friend of mine, for those of you who may not remember Dana, she was the star of China Beach in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Had a, a pretty long film career. In fact, she's done theater even here at the Old Globe. Anyway, Dana had posted on Twitter yesterday the following. She was apparently in a theater. And to the assholes in front of me who were scrolling through their phones during the last hour of the play, don't ever go to the theater again. Your faces in the second row were lit up like a horror movie. Do you even know how distracting that is to the actors? And I know we spent a lot of time My talking goodness. about that. Here it's coming from, you know, somebody in the business. Uh, and she does make a good point, Alejandra, that sometimes it's something that simple. I know I'm beating this horse again, but... The light no, of your I am beating it with you. <laughs> There's a thing, David, now of people having their phones out throughout the entire performance. I've had it again. I had it during Tina. I had it now during Beetlejuice. What is the situation? Are we going to have to move like comedy shows now where they put your phone in a pouch because people can't behave? Like it hurts your yeah. eyes. It's distracting to the actors. It's distracting to the audiences. Don't go. If your phone is like, don't go seriously. Yeah. I mean, in so, a dark theater, those phones light up. They do. They're little beacons of annoyance. <laughs> exactly. It's all right. Yeah. No. Right. Here, I <laughs> no go people. Here I go being the podcast scold again. But this time I've got Dana Delaney. No. <laughs> so well, there you go because it's happening. It's happening, and and it's it's not right. It's not right. So Alejandra, let me ask you as a critic. Uh, you see a show. Um, once you've seen it, how soon do you start thinking deeply about what you've seen? When do you start your writing? And what is the process in terms of time from walking out of that theater to sitting down, writing, and then, of course, publishing your review? Oh my God. I'm so glad that you <laughs> uh, bring this up because I feel like I have this reputation <laughs> of being the one that takes the longest. Uh, and it's uh, to that point, uh, for me, ideally, it would be seeing the show and really coming out with it next, the next day or two days after. But there's a lot of things that come into play. For me specifically, yes, I want to. I wanted to marinate in my brain a little bit. And um, you were my mentor when I got into uh, the critic circle. And you always, you know, you said to me, "It's good to discuss." You know, if you go with other people, what they thought and what you know, in order for it to keep marinating, and then you have your, like, your piece, and then you can, you know, write it out. Um, it takes me a lot, especially to, uh, uh, to write in English. It takes me a long, long time to process and really put down how I feel about it and uh, like what I saw. I wanted to make sense. I've uh, gotten complaints on our Facebook page that I gave away too many spoilers, you know, things like that, where I it's hard for me sometimes to find the balance. But Going back to the timeline, ideally, I would like to do it a day after or two days after the show. Sometimes I do it a week after, um, sometimes because of work and other things that I have to do. Um, it takes me a little bit longer, but I try always to do it a day after or two days after or within the week. 
of watching the performance. I know it's not ideal for some theaters, but um, yeah, I, I, I really try my best with my times to do it. I think that there's an expectation because we live in this instantaneous communication world that you see a show, boom, you come out, write the review, and there it is, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, while that's probably physically possible, I don't think anybody wants a review that was thrown together. I know I don't. You want to put some thought into what you've seen. Um, ideally, I agree with you. Ideally, I would, if I'm publishing on my blog, it would be the next day. If it's a commission like for the Union Tribune, then I have a deadline. Um, I have a little bit more time. I like to write while it's fresh in my mind, but I don't want to feel like I'm rushing. Um, So there's a, as you said, there's a balance there that I think all of us try to achieve. Uh, And I'm not one to come out of a theater and tweet about it, as I know some people do. I don't feel there's a lot of critical value in that because hate to say it, but anybody could tweet about a show when they come out, and that's fine. But I think people who read me and who read you expect a little more than that. Um, yeah, sometimes, though, other... as, you, as you've said, Alejandro, the theaters aren't wild about it, are they? No, and they're very vocal with me about it. But um, <laughs> the other thing that comes into play is that there's a, res- uh, a research aspect. You know, uh, we go through the bios. We go and see what the, the people involved have done in the past. We If it's a world premiere, then we see where the references came from in order for this to come to the stage. If it's a, a production that has been done somewhere else, we go and, you know, see what people said somewhere else. All, and, and that takes a lot of time going down the rabbit hole. So sometimes I'm like really deep and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Go back up, you know, land on in San Diego and what you have to do, because I'm really diving in and looking at the YouTube videos, if there's avail- they're available and things like that. And because I also like it. So and that takes away, you know, it's a bad flaw, <laughs> a good well, flaw, said, a good as bad you flaw. Said too, a bad flaw as opposed to a good flaw. Um, as you said, when it's a world premiere, that requires extra work because there isn't a lot of I mean, there have been no reviews, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And it's mostly background research, and it could be very unfamiliar to me if it's a world premiere. And I want to be careful. I want to be right, as I know you do, and I want to be fair. And I think that's where the research comes in. And I hope that readers understand why sometimes it takes a while. Theaters probably don't, to your point. Um, mm-hmm. They're not quite as reasonable because they they have a, a financial interest, theoretically, in when yeah, a, a marketing a marketing one too, and and you know sometimes it makes you feel when we're in this group of people, especially with people you know like you, like Pam, you know they've been here in uh, for a while and also have this big platform and people look for you specifically. I feel that no one looks for me, <laughs> except when it's something that has a Latin American, you know, tint to it or whatever, then they look for me. Otherwise, they're like, eh, we don't care. So so that's the thing that I feel pressure to. It's like, oh, well, 
you don't want to quote from me anyway, you know, and I feel self-conscious about, you know, it's that whole, again, it's a personal aspect, right? Which it might even be only in my head, but, but that's what I feel sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, I'm with these great writers that they have all this experience. And sometimes they reference shows that they've seen in the past that I don't even, didn't even know that it, it, it existed. Right. But at the same time, I feel that that adds nice tones and colors to the mix and that's what it's all about and then i just try to relax <laughs> you know? i think the bottom line here the message that i think we both want to send here is that we care about what we write and we don't hurry it and that what we eventually give you has been researched and checked and when we make observations we like to think they're informed observations and sometimes that does take some time. Totally. And uh, if I were to get paid by this writing, I'm telling you, you know, time-wise, ooh, you know, that money would just <laughs> come in because I take a long time. And that also, I'm trying to get better at it. But yeah, I'll, I'll do some timers or something, you know, in order to challenge my brain because I do take a while. Speaking of time, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen recently and what we're looking forward to as summer winds down. So stay with us. It's trivia time. All right, Shakespeare buffs. What is the Bard's longest play? And what is his shortest play? Answer later in the show. And we are back. This is the final segment of this episode and David. So theater world, what have we been seeing lately? What are we um, excited to see coming up? What have you seen and are excited to I've see? I've seen a couple of, um, seen a couple of touring shows that came to town. One of which uh, was here very recently, Beetlejuice. I love the Beetlejuice movie. And the show is similar, but, you know, in a way, in many ways, quite different. Um, but wow, a lot of energy. And I know we've talked a lot about theater goers, people in black and white stripes. All over I was one of those. You know, <laughs> I love a, a theme. It's a fun <laughs> night in the theater, I would say. The best I could say about Beetlejuice, it's a fun night in the theater. Totally. What are you looking forward to seeing? I, there are two things soon. I'm looking forward to. Then I'll I'll toss this to you. One I'm looking forward to is I've never seen on stage August Osage County. The Old Globe here in San Diego did it in 2011, I believe. has not been done since. As you probably know, it's, they made a film out of it with Meryl Streep. And one of our smaller but very daring theater companies in town, Backyard Renaissance, is mounting uh, August Osage County. Uh, very soon and with a huge cast as the show demands in a small space, which is going to be interesting. It's such an intense three hours of theater um, that I expect to be wrung out by the time it's over. Uh, and we've talked a lot on, on this show about the 90 minute you know, production and this won't be that, but kind of no going in, it's going to be long, but I'm I'm looking forward to the emotional turmoil that, is going to be on stage. And the other thing I'm, I'm really looking forward to, although I don't know how it's going to be, La Jolla Playhouse is a world premiering, a musical about Hunter S. Yeah. Thompson, 
which seems like a very unlikely topic for a musical, but um, the, the whole idea is so preposterous that it might be really fun and out there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell they do with that. How about you? Um. Well, I've been traveling, um, doing a little traveling here and there. So I'm really backed up on my theater watching. So I'm, I'm seeing, uh, Merry Wives <laughs> this weekend and then Evita. So I'm excited about that. I want to see how they do both things, especially with Merry Wives and all this like fifties sitcom situation. I'm a big, I love Lucy fan and, um, I want to see how all that comes together. I went to LA and I saw a show, a world premiere called Crabs in a Bucket. And it's a um, a Mexican playwright, which I did not know. So that made it more exciting for me. Really cool. Um, LA is doing a lot of things. It's very, we're close, but it's very different what they do. There's a lot, a lot of smaller theaters. So yeah, shout out to LA. I love when they, you know, consider us and invite us over to, to watch uh, shows. So that's really cool. And I am also a backyard Renaissance fan. So I want to see that. But I, I, I need more references because I have no idea. <laughs> I always kind of go like super blind <laughs> to these shows most of the time, which I feel You're also. You're in for a shock. Good. Good and bad. So, um, yeah, and uh, Moxie Theater, shout out to Moxie. They just recently opened um, Cry It Out, and that's a nice 90-minute, right? We were talking yeah. about intermission, no intermission. Nice 90-minute, you know, sit, go. That's their first portion so, uh, of their season, and the first one mm -hmm. curated by Desiree Clark, who is their new artistic director at Moxie that's Theater. Right. Something else that's coming up, you mentioned L.A. Um, at um, South Coast Repertory Theater, which is in Costa Mesa. Uh, Herbert Seguenza, who is well known to San Diego listeners from his many projects down here, he is uh, opening uh, at the South Coast Rep, I believe in early September, a production, uh, a modern Hispanic version of Don Quixote um, that he had I guess, workshopped and premiered in Denver, and that's coming to the South Coast Rep. And almost everything Herbert is involved in is worth seeing. Uh, sometimes he goes over the top, but other times he really... I'm a big Culture Clash fan, so I've been a Herbert fan for many years. So I probably will go up to Costa Mesa. One more thing about Evita I thought I would mention. Uh, I'd like to hear what you think about this, Alejandro. This production, which Signet Theater is, is doing here, which I've already seen, I think of the 17 people in the cast, 14 of them are Latine. You know, it's a, they went out of their way to, to cast it that way, which is actually relatively unusual for the show, even though it's set in Argentina. Yeah. Do you feel it's important that theaters do things like that when they are producing shows that have a certain uh, a Latine connection? Yes, I do. Um, it's especially with Evita that has this history and it's not that good of a history and all these things. I, I feel that <clears throat> it, there's two things. An actor is an actor. <laughs> an actor should and be able to portray whatever, whatever the background is. That is something that I've always 
believed. But in these cases, as well as with Asian stories, African-American stories, it has an added weight. So I think that it should be that way. It should be a, a casting with like Latin American people that, that know that <clears throat> have that essence because also historically these shows have been casted with non-Latin American people. So it's like the time uh, to do it. So yeah, I, I do think it's important. I do think it adds a, a, a different layer to it and a little bit of accountability a little bit. So one thing they I also did, you'll see when you see this is they, they did some of it in Spanish during the production. Some of the dialogue mm -hmm. has been translated to Spanish, which I also think is probably overdue. And I say all this with due respect to Patti Lapone, who we mentioned a little while ago, who you know premiered the role of Eva Perón on Broadway. Well, there you go. Back in the seventies. You know, like why? <laughs> why? <laughs> and I love Patti Lapone, but, but, but why? You know what I mean? But um, the thing also with theaters when they try to include Spanish for me. And, and I know, again, I have a rap for this, but I am going to go in. And if you're going to include Spanish, the pronunciation, right, has to be there. And I'm not saying like the accent or like you say here, dialect. No, it has to be like you have to know what you're saying, not just reading it out loud because it's on the script. That's what I say. And when you're in a border town and in San Diego and there's not, a, a you know, you have an actor that's not speaking Spanish. Mm -mm -mm. Shame, 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 because we have a bunch. So, yeah. the reason why we're so glad you're a member of our critics community <laughs> here in, in San Diego. I know well, I don't have that many fans, David, but it is what it is. <laughs> From Another Zero, by the way, is the name of Alejandra's theater blog. Well, thanks to everybody. This was a fun show. Uh, as it always is. But it was nice. Thanks again to James Vasquez. Our, our guest in our next podcast, by the way, is going to be one of the uh, really emerging playwrights in certainly in the western part of the United States. Keiko Green is going to join us and uh, we look forward to having Keiko on the show. And uh, we will have seen some of these things that we are talking about today that we can tell you about as well next time. So thanks again for being part of the show with us. Thank you, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. And the answer for the longest-running play in the world is The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. It premiered in London's West End in 1952, and it is still running to this day, making it over 70 years old. Did you know that? I didn't. Time to answer the trivia question about Shakespeare's shortest play and his longest play. Shakespeare's shortest play is The Comedy of Errors at less than 15,000 words. And the longest play, this probably doesn't surprise you, is Hamlet at double that, more than 30,000 words long. Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. Co-hosts David Cotton and Alejandra and Ciso Dardashti.